This is Why We Write, a podcast of Leslie University. Every episode, we bring you conversations with authors from the Leslie community to talk about books, writing, and the writing life. Today, I'm speaking with Karin Cecile Davidson, author of the brand new book, Sibelia Drive. Thank you so much for joining me today, Karin. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you for having me. So I wonder if you would start by telling us a little bit about your book. Well, the novel Sibelia Drive, it's it's basically the story of Lulu, Rainey, and Saul. They're pretty much the main characters. And it's a coming-of-age novel that takes place in a small lakes, lake town in central Florida with the Vietnam War going on in the background. And it's because of the way it's structured and because of the fact that it's during wartime, I wanted a lot of voices to be involved because there are so many voices that that come forward during wartime. And so it, it ended up to be sort of a kaleidoscopic vision of this community in Florida, which is deeply affected by the Vietnam War because so many of the community members are either deployed or they enlist and they become involved in the war. So there's a lot of, there's the weight of war. There's a lot of love among the community members and everybody supporting themselves, but there's also loss. And the friendship between these three kids sort of comes to the forefront and leads the way to tell the story of this this community during the fever pitch of the 1960s and 70s. Mm. And why why did you decide to write about the Vietnam era? What what about that time period appealed to you? Well, I grew up during that time period and when the United States became involved in the conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq, the memories came flooding back. I had already started a story, what I thought was a story, which was the seed for this novel, which is actually a chapter that is in Rainey's viewpoint. And it had to do with this memory I had of being a child in Florida. And it was a very dramatic situation and I never did understand it, but it kept coming back to me. And so I wrote the story and then I realized this is something larger. It turned into a novel. And I wanted to address a war that had defined my generation. The war in Iraq and Afghanistan was too close. And so I felt like I needed to go back in time and look at something that was very political, but from a specific sense of community and how people come together to support each other, especially when they have family members who are involved in the conflict. And, and one thing that particularly stood out to me from when I was a teenager was that there were boys that I knew who were returning home. They were, they were still teenagers. When they came back, that there was this deep weighted silence around them. They didn't talk about what they'd been through. We didn't ask them. We were teenagers. We wanted to have fun. We wanted to hang out together. But this kept coming back to me in the early 2000s when I started this story, which became this novel. It was also 
I started the original story because of a dare, a oh, teacher, really? <laughs> a writing teacher that I had. Yeah, a writing teacher that I had said, you keep, you keep coming in with all of these stories that you've already written. Write something new. And she was so impassioned about it that it sparked something in me. And I knew that I had to write something totally different. And so while it started with Rainy, Lulu, of course, is, is the character that begins the novel. And she's, she's the feisty one. So she sort of stands out. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's basically how it started was a bunch of different things converging. Mm. Sal is definitely a, Sal, who's Lulu's brother, is definitely a big part of the book. But I really saw like Lulu and Rainy kind of as at the center of it. Like, they meet at the beginning. They're, I think Lulu's nine, Rainy's 10. And they have, right. they have such an interesting relationship. Um, so like Lulu, like Rainy comes into Lulu's home and ends up sort of becoming a part of their family, like their best friends, their sisters, but they're also kind of, I mean, they're at odds a lot. Why build your story around these characters? Like, what was it about them that you felt like, like that they could like really define the action of your book? I guess because it started with them, mm -hmm. it just kept going with them, and and everything else. While in the very beginning it seemed peripheral, was so it was so bound up in who they were and who they were becoming. I didn't, I didn't plan on writing a coming of age, um, novel, but it, but it turned out to be one. And, um, there, I think that universally we all have friendships that can be so incredibly close and at the same time, um, wrapped in a contentious, um, kind of thread that comes around the friendship. And so I really wanted to examine that too, because I think there are many of us who have been in, in friendships like that, that, that maybe we've had since childhood and that continue into adulthood. And it's, it's kind of an amazing thing. And it, it's sort of a testament for the strength of friendships, despite as in Lulu and Rainey's case, despite the fact that Lulu can be a pretty much a bully when she's when she's younger mm -hmm. but then do you like um there's a line from the book where rainy says i didn't want to be found out to have my friendship with lulu turn sideways and spill like so she kind of has this fear too like lulu is so volatile <laughs> a lot of the time right. um and rainy's the quiet one but i mean they're both angry they're both dealing with a lot of um like pain related to their parents. Um, but, but, you know, she is always kind of like the peacemaker, um, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's that, um, there's the complication when, when you have a triangle of characters, mm -hmm. there's the, the, the law of threes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it creates a, it creates a complication. And, and because of the way that well, Lulu and Saul are, half brother, half sister, they have the same mother and different fathers. Um, so there's the brother sister role. And then there's the rainy Lulu um, angle of it, which is which is the two the friendship of the two girls. And then when the, there's a friendship that develops between Saul and rainy, 
that's just it's sort of a precarious angle mm-hmm. of the of when you look at the like a triangle with the three with the three corners. It's like that's the three corner that could tip the whole thing. Yeah. Um, if it becomes too too deep or too involved or <clears throat> at least I suppose that's how Rainy sees it mm-hmm. in in terms of her friendship with Lulu. Yeah. So so I've like I've read, you know, a few books where there are a lot of characters that each kind of get their own chapters or you get their perspectives. And I often don't really like them that much. Um, I won't name names, <laughs> but I often, feel, I often feel like either the characters are not that distinct from each other, like their voices sound really similar or... I don't feel that connected to them because it's just too many perspectives hitting me, which I didn't feel either of those with your book, even though a lot of characters, I think most characters only get one chapter. How did you decide when and how to introduce your characters or how to present them with their own voice? The way that I approached the sequencing of the chapters and the way that it goes back and forth in time was really influenced in in a couple of different ways. In the beginning, I thought I was writing interlinked stories. So I wasn't worried about um, what, you know, sequencing them in chronological order or anything like that. So that's maybe where that started. But in the end, I took the chapters and for each chapter, I create. I had to have some kind of um, timeline that made sense, just to whoever was reading it that it would that it would make sense, even if it was going to jump back in time a bit. So I had I was in a study that had a closet door right next to the desk that I could open up, and I put post-it notes for each chapter on on that closet door, and I. I didn't want to always look at that, so I would just close the door. <laughs> I yeah. didn't want to see it. Yeah, but and it. And as I was revising, I was adding chapters and was working really hard on differentiating the voices because mm-hmm. I knew if I was going to have this many perspectives, they all needed to be distinct. So I created these post-it notes and put them on this closet door and they each had whose point of view it was in what month and year it was taking place, and then of any other information. Sometimes I even had sayings in Vietnamese to help me, um, or just to just to like some some kind of quote from somewhere else to help me envision that character. So there was a lot of going on in the sequencing during the revision, and then when I added on a whole bunch of more chapters at the end, it totally messed with the with the sequencing and I had to do it all over again, but it was, it was a big learning process. This being my first novel. And I, I, I said to myself when I first started writing, I will always be a short story writer. (laughs) When I was in grad school at Leslie, Lori Foos, who was my advisor said, I'm, I just want to point out that you're writing a novel. In fact, you're writing two novels. So pick one and go with it. (laughs) (laughs) So what was your reaction to that? I completely dug my heels in and I said, no, I'm not. She said, I'm really sorry, Karen, but it's too late. You are. (laughs) And then 
I had three readers. Um, one of them was Lauren Innes Norton, who was in, in class with me, in, in classes with me at Leslie. And um, another couple of writers or readers for my novel who um, were, it was just phenomenal to mm. hear back from these people that I'd been working with for some of them for decades mm. and reading each other's work. And they, and they all agreed that I was writing a novel. And I said, okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> I have to, um, yeah. I have to, I have to go back and do it all over again because mm-hmm. I've written it as stories. So that was quite, that was, it was good though. It was a, it was a healthy way to re-envision the story, take out the repetitions and, and, um, get it to flow. I did, obviously I did dig my heels in to keep the many, many perspectives mm-hmm. so that I could write a novel about the voices in wartime and about this specific community. So um, I think a lot of editors at publishing houses just didn't want to deal with that. Mm. There was a lot of love that came back when my agent was sending the book around. There was a lot of love, but but we're sorry. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> So oh, yeah, that's <laughs> and, tough. And I'm I'm really glad that it ended up with a small press with Braddock Avenue Books because um, they there was just there's always been love from them. So it's it's been a good journey. So why were you so resistant to being a novelist? What what is it about short stories where you felt like that's <laughs> that's that was your <laughs> your hill to die on? <laughs> I suppose I'd I'd grown up reading reading writers that mostly were short story writers. Part of it part of it probably had to do with in grad school it's a lot easier to and in any kind of a writing workshop situation it's easier to workshop a story. And I was convinced that if I took on a project as big as a novel it would just take too much time. I would become very frustrated. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have the energy to write stories at the same time that would give me, when you have a story that finally lands somewhere and is published, it gives you a little uplift of confidence. And I thought I would lose that. And instead, what happened was I wrote this novel at the same time. So I was having success with the stories from the collection. And at the same time, I was moving forward with this novel. And I and I do have a collection of stories that hopefully one day will be published. I'm working on a, on a couple of other ones as, as well. One aspect of the novel I wanted to talk about is music. So um, at one point, Lulu says, music wrung words into meanings that real life didn't seem to offer. So what was, why was it so important to include music in in the book? And I also thought that there's a playlist on the Large Hearted Boy blog and that gives kind of some more insight right. into some of the music that you chose for the book. Um, yeah, so would you talk about that? When you're writing about kids that eventually in a novel become teenagers, there is going to be music that, that just, it's just, it's just no matter what generation you're writing about, there is going to be music. And I feel like maybe it's because I was growing up at that time, but I feel like this particular 
time period during the Vietnam War when there were peace protests going on, when there was so much, so many um, marches and there, there was like nationwide communal effort to address the war in Vietnam. And a lot of music was going on at the time, which spoke to that. And I am not always, it depends on the story and it depends on what I'm writing, but I am, a, I, for this particular piece, I listen to a lot of music. And in the original drafts, there were lyrics, which of course, when you go down to the final version that's going to be published, you have to excise because of copyright, unless you're somebody like Stephen King or Joyce, Joyce Carol Oates who can afford to have the, um, to pay the copyright costs. Um, so this, the book was, was every single character had a a singer or a kind of music that was that that fed into who they became on the page. For example, Ava um, Rainey's mother, you could say maybe Frank Sinatra or even Dusty Springfield, um, just somebody from that era. And also because she's a, she's a singer and an entertainer herself, it's it's different than than Saul who is a teenage boy who loves Elton John. <laughs> In the end, it was dependent on the characters, but also the time period. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard yeah. to think of like a, a book or a movie that's set in this era without thinking about the music because it's, it's so defined that time. Right. It will be interesting to see what, what is reflected back when, when movies are made and books are written of this mm -hmm. period. What will the music be? Yeah. That that accents those things. Right. Yeah. And it's not so mainstream anymore. I think as it used to be, there was now there's Spotify and you can listen to a million things that you just wouldn't have had access exactly. to back then. Yeah. It's not just AM and FM radio. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even radio at all. <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to chat about is the the men in this book. You have a pretty sympathetic view towards the men, most of the men. I mean, Royal is a sympathetic character. He comes back from the war. He definitely has PTSD, still really wants to be part of his family. And, but yeah, like, can you talk a little bit about how you decided to portray the men in this book? I think that when I started writing, well, I'll begin with Saul because, you know, <laughs> I think I've only written a couple of male perspectives in the past and and I and I workshopped those stories with with people who I'd gone to school at had gone to grad school with and they always said maybe because they knew I was a woman I don't know um this character sounds too feminine and so I would work really hard at changing the way they spoke and after a while, I, I just felt like I need the confidence to not worry about that so much, especially from people that are, I'm workshopping with that know me, but that I do need to get it to readers who are engaging with the character 
to care about them. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, we want as writers, our readers to feel li- that they're not sunk into the page, that they're lifted off the page by our, mm. by our characters. So, and it, it didn't even occur to me until much later that I was dealing with issues of masculinity. When you think of war, um, boys that are coming of age, just so many different aspects and, and also men returning from war profoundly changed, um, how to approach that with care. And I, during the research for all of the military part of the book, I spoke to, via email, I spoke to Combined Action Patrol Marines, Marine vets that were in different squads in Vietnam. And I was very grateful to, to voices from these, from these veterans who were, one, willing to speak to me. And two, um, gave me some direction mm-hmm. for, for Royal in particular. And one of the guys said, when you write this character, give him an emotional world that is believable, because in the end, that's what we all have. And so I wanted to translate that back to Royal and to also in a way, honor the men who fought in Vietnam, who once they came home, were not seen as heroes and did not receive the welcome back that they should have. So I just wanted to grant this, this character, Royal, a deep kind of respect as well. So I hope that comes forward <laughs> in the writing. Yeah, well, yeah, I just really appreciated too that I thought it, it could be easy to have the men be kind of negative characters while the women are more sympathetic. But, um, but yeah, like I mean, even Ava, her Rainey's mother, who is you know she's become sort of this somewhat of a starlet. She has this interview with Look Magazine, and she she gives the interviewer way too much information <laughs> and, you know, and she's talking about her daughter, Rainey, who I think is 16 at that point and who she probably shouldn't mention at all, but she's, she says way too much um, to this journalist and he chooses not to put it in the story. And, and I just thought like, even that little like kindness is, is just there in the background. And so you see kind of these men who are trying to be good people yeah, there was there was a sense of hopefulness in the novel that at times I wasn't sure if that was gonna happen. Can you talk a little bit about the hopefulness? Because there are a lot of very bleak stories about the Vietnam era. I mean, in the end, <laughs> in the end, in all of life, what we what we need and what we hold on to is hope. Um, I think especially now in the, in the pandemic that we're in, there's, I think hope is a huge, a huge frame of mind. And for, for a generation that grew up during the Vietnam War, for the characters in this book, um, in, in a time when there were, I'd say four or five channels on the television, instead of 300 or whatever we have now, 
and you know there was no streaming it was turn on and you get what you get what you saw in the news was pretty blatant and and kind of horrifying i mean the the body bags that were filmed on the on the nightly news the um the fighting the the amazing amount of violence and um all all of the different aspects from agent orange on down um to the visuals that the nightly news brought in and so when and i think saul um is is a character that he is is perhaps he's very hopeful but he's so sad at the same time and he just wants he just wants the grown-ups to act like grown-ups and he doesn't want to have to be responsible at the age of 16 17 for every everybody else's nonsense that's going on and then once the the weight of all the loss is going on mm-hmm. even when men and women have returned from the war from all of their tours of duty there's there's the weight there's still this sense of loss from we're not going to ever be the same that we were mm-hmm. but we can hope for getting to the other side of this that there's going to be not necessarily a pot of gold but hopefully there's something at the end of the rainbow that will make this all worthwhile because it's not fun right now and to, to be honest the the last chapter of the book was not the lot was not there until very very late oh. I, mm-hmm. I finished i finished the book in 2015 and i think the last chapter adds an amazing amount of hope mm-hmm. to the main characters as well as the entire community yeah when i thought you were very kind to your characters at the end i, I appreciate that <laughs> so what is next for you so i in 2018, I started writing a store, a series of stories that I was really lucky. I had a residency in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, and a summertime residency in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Mm. And I wrote a big handful of stories intentionally for a project about the Gulf Coast in terms of its music. So there's more music coming mm-hmm. and which is very different. Every single story has a completely different kind of music. And I was even surprised by some of it myself. I mean, Leontine Price ended up in one of my stories, but I wanted to concentrate on different kinds of livelihoods that are specific to the Gulf Coast and, and also problems that are specific like kudzu. <laughs> Oh gosh, so much of it. You're you're from the Gulf Coast, right? I am. I well, I was born in Winter Park, Florida. At the age of seven, my mother and I moved to New Orleans. Okay, so I I basically came up in New Orleans. That was hmm. the, my formative years were in New Orleans. I was on my banana seat bike riding through the the graveyards um, that that just you know. 
they dot the city. They're everywhere. And, and, and back in the day, the gates were open. <laughs> and it was a safe place to ride your bike because there was no traffic. So my friends and I would would do that. And you can fit a lot of people on a banana seat bike. So <laughs> <laughs> There's also, from one of these stories, I said there weren't any more novels in my future but there are there um there's 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 one um which is it's always what is it with me and teenagers anyway it's this it's about babysitters who steal so um so that's in new orleans i think it's a novel i don't think it's just a story but we'll see i'll start it out as a story <laughs> yeah it feels like you keep coming back to the gulf coast like do you feel like that's because you know, your formative years you were spent in the South? Especially living in New Orleans, there's something that gets deep down into your bones and your soul and and having grown up with incredible food and music and it just turn around turn a corner and there's more of it. I miss that that sort of southern it doesn't matter who you who you see walking on the street, they're gonna say, Hey, how you how you doing? So true. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. This was just a great conversation. And I'm really hoping that everybody will go out and read your book. And I'm going to have links to all the stuff we talked about today, including how they can find out more about you and Sibelia Drive. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you, Georgia. This was such an engaging and amazing conversation. I had so much fun talking to you. I appreciate it. <laughs>